Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. To be able to preach God's word to you this morning. I tell you what, there's a fire in my bones when I'm not preaching, but it's so good to hear uh, from our lay elders, Pastor uh, Justin, Pastor Eric, as they came and did such a wonderful job preaching the Word of God. And so I'm so thankful for them. I tell you what, ready to be back today. Now, as we start today, I, I'm going to start just a little bit uh, different. Um, this has been a hard week for our nation. And so to preach without any recognition of that, uh, would just be a hard thing to do. And now listen, I understand uh, the desires of some for me to maybe stand up here and to take the part of a politician to say phrases like stop the steal or Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, but you know what? I I'm not going to settle for being a politician this morning because the call on my life the call on my heart is to be something I, I believe that's far greater, and that is your pastor. And I want to call us to do something that I believe oftentimes we use as a last resort when all reality it's the greatest weapon we have because I'm convinced that more than political phrases, that prayer changes everything. I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. A passage that speaks to the people of God, but also can remind us exactly how God wants to move in our midst and in our country. Here's what the Bible says, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, listen to what God says, then I will hear from heaven. He goes on and says this, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Oh my. Don't we need to see that today? God answer our very prayers. So let's just do this. As we start out today, let's just pray for our nation. Can we do that together? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And as we begin to preach this morning, we are mindful of the difficult days that our nation has known. A nation where you have planted us or you have called us to be salt and light. And so, Father, I pray this, that we would be just that. That we would be guilty of not mere political phrases, but, Father, of prayer that changes everything. And so, as your people, we call on your name. Father, as your people, we seek your face humbly, Father. We ask your forgiveness for our sin. And, God, we ask that you'd heal our land. Bring peace where there is great strife. Bring truth where there's great delusion. Bring hope where things seem to be so hopeless. And Father, we need you. We trust you. We turn to you. And oh, how we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and a amen. Uh, you know, I just want to warn you, it's been a couple weeks since I preached, and since then it's a new year, and my wife has wanted us to start eating healthy, and so I may preach a little angrier this morning than, than normal. 
I mean, she, hey, Aaron, are you still back there? Hey, babe, can you step out here? I honestly, you guys can tell my wife she's morbidly obese, right? And so together, we are going to try to get her healthier. And so I'm just angry. I ate lettuce. My body tried to reject it. So maybe a little bit more angry about preaching this morning. But I'm going to tell you, today is an important Sunday because today we, we talk the heartbeat, the prayer, the theme of 2021 for Connect Church. Over the past few months as we've looked forward to the year that is 2021, there has been a phrase that has been stirring in my spirit and in my soul. You ready? That phrase, that theme, hope is alive. Hey, Connect Church, hear me. As surely as I stand here today, hope is alive. Look at your neighbor real quick. Just remind them hope's alive this morning. Come on, remind them this morning. It's a reminder that our culture, our community, our country, and our world needs now more than ever the reminder that today hope is alive. But here's the question I have. As we just sang, can hope really be alive in the valley of dry bones? Take your Bibles open to Ezekiel 37 this morning with me, if you would, and as you turn, I ask that question again. Can hope really be alive in the valley of dry bones? As we turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, here's what Ezekiel writes, and I love this. You ready? The hand of the Lord was on me. Now, I want to stop there just for a moment. He writes, the hand of the Lord was on me. What amazes me there is that this prophet, this priest, this preacher of old recognizes even through the valley in his life that the hand of the Lord is on him. Let me set the world stage for you. You ready? King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, they are busy conquering kings and kingdoms. And now they have their sights set on Jerusalem, and guess what? He conquers her. Ezekiel is one of thousands of the children of God, of the people of God who are exiled, who are ripped from their home and taken into Babylon. Now, we know some other people who are taken in this exile. Daniel the prophet, the one who authors the book of Daniel in the Bible, he was also exiled. But here's the difference. Daniel was taken to Babylon and wound up in the palace. Ezekiel, just 30 years old, was taken to Babylon and finds himself in a refugee camp. A hard place. And yet he writes from there, the hand of the Lord is on me. Hey, don't you know that the hand of the Lord can be on you no matter what's going on around you? And he writes this, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. And what we begin to see here is this incredible vision unfolding. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor, the Bible says, in the valley. The bones were very dry. They had been bleached by the sun. Now, I'm going to tell you something. On the onset of this vision, this is a little unsettling. Of all the visions there can be, this is unsettling. And one of the questions on my mind is, God, why this? Where are you taking me? But here's what we know. 
there's a couple of questions that, that arise from the text this morning. And first of all, in this valley of dry bones, whose bones are they? Whose bones are they that are laying on this valley floor? Now, we don't have to go too far in Scripture to find the answer to that. Why? Because we know this in Ezekiel 37. Verses 1 through 10 are the vision that God gives Ezekiel. Verses 11 through 14 is God's interpretation. Ezekiel, here's what the vision means. So look on over in verse 11 real quick. And here's what God says. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are, we are cut off. The bones that Ezekiel sees are those of the, the people of God. They're dry. And so too is their hope under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Their bones are dry and their hope is gone. Now here's the second question. Not only whose bones are they that lie on the ground, but why are they dried up? Why is their hope gone? And I'm going to give you the two reasons. You ready? Number one, because of their sin. And number two, because they were in a situation that they didn't want to be in, in a situation that was outside of their control. The very two reasons why their bones are dry, why they are dried up. And so I begin to think, about what happens here in the midst of this valley as God is moving. Why are their bones dried up? Their hope is gone. And then I look at Ezekiel 36, the preceding chapter, and listen to what God says happened here to the people of God. So turn back one chapter, verse 18, and here's what the Bible says. So I poured out my wrath on them, God says, because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled, defiled it. Listen with their idols. And he goes on and says this in verse 19, I dispersed them among the nations, and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. Hey, church, can I, can I remind you of something that's not very popular in the church today? God cares about our conduct, and he cares about our actions. Not just in the light where people can see, but on social media, and in dark places where people can't see. God cares. And there becomes a question that arises up out of this. Then why did God allow this to happen? Why did God punish them? You know what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 6? That God disciplines those he loves. Why did God allow this? Why is God punishing them? You ready? Because he loves them. I got four kids that I am madly in love. I love my children. But I also don't want them to be terrorists. So you know what happens? When they act like terrorists, we love them enough to discipline them, right? And so you're welcome. We, we, we want them to be disciplined. Why? Because we love them. Why did God discipline his people? Because he loves them. He loves them dearly. And that is why we see this discipline enacted. Now, let's go back to the reasons why this discipline, this punishment was needed. And hey, church, hey, don't you know that sin, sin always dries out your bones? Hey, don't you know that sin always dries up 
our hope. You know, I think of one of the driving causes that's mentioned in Ezekiel 36 of the dry bones of the people of God. One of the driving causes was the sin of idolatry. And hear me, idolatry is not just sin, some sin of the past, but it's very much alive today. Let me help you to find idolatry this morning. I love this from Desiring God. And here's what he writes. Idolatry starts in the heart. And it's the craving, the wanting, the enjoying, the being satisfied by anything that you treasure more than God. Hey, let's put it this way. You ready? It is the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God and enjoyed more than God. That's what idolatry looks like today. And you know, to be honest with you, we are really good at making idols out of a lot of different things today. And I think that we can even take good things and idolatry, make them idols in our lives. Let me give you some examples. We, we can idolize our our spouses, our husband, our wives, our boyfriend, our girlfriend. But we can idolize our, our children and put the, our love for them above our love for God. But we can idolize our, our work, our hobbies, our video games, our sports. Hey, let me, let me throw some salt in the wound today. You ready? Well, we can idolize our political leaders and our political parties. We can idolize our political leaders and our political parties. But we can idolize pornography, food. We can idolize things that are good in life. But you know what? We also can find ourselves, especially in a pandemic like this, we can idolize our safety and our self-preservation. We can idolize material things and wealth and on and on and on. I hope you get the point that you and I were really good at making idols of a whole lot of things in our lives. But there is an idol that I believe our culture and our community struggles with the greatest. An idolatry that is greater and above all. In fact, I have a picture of it. You ready? Here it is. Here's the idolatry above all idolatry today. You see him? You see her? The idolatry above every other in our culture today is the idolatry of self, that my happiness and my desires are far weightier, are far more important to me than God, than his word, and his will for my life. This is the greatest of all idolatries. And let me tell you my fear, church, that we take this idolatry into our faith, where we begin, if we're not careful, to fashion a Jesus in our own image, a Jesus that is tolerant of our sin, Hey, a Jesus that cares only about our happiness and nothing of our holiness. 
A Jesus that calls us to a faith that costs us nothing. In such idolatry, we find that that Jesus really doesn't exist. Rather, what does is an idolatrous selfishness, you ready? That has killed many a marriage and a family. That has broken many a relationship and hurt many a people in your life and in mine. And the question I have is, can there be any hope for our sin in a valley of dry bones? Is there any hope to be found at all? Because the sin of idolatry, it's drying up our bones. It's leaving our hope all but gone. Now, let's look at the second reason that their bones were dried up, their hope was gone. You ready? They were in a situation they didn't want to be in and a situation that was outside of their control. Let me ask you this. How many times have you been there in life? You find yourself in a valley of dry bones where things are happening that you do not want and that seem outside of your control and it dries up your bones. It leaves you with no hope. As for Ezekiel in the text and thousands of others, they find themselves exiled from their homes. Their dreams are crushed, their future uncertain, and their hope is gone. And they too were in a situation they didn't want, a situation they couldn't control. And I want to ask you, church, are you in a situation like that right now? Have you been there in the valley of dry bones yourself? You know, I'm mindful as I preach today that I preach to a people who, much like myself, have known dry bones in their life. Situations where hope seems to be all but gone. Marriages that seem hopeless, that have even gone and taken the steps of divorce, and it has left nothing but dry bones. Maybe a pandemic that has left your business and your finances in a hopeless situation. Or worse, lonely and isolated and your bones are drying up. Your hope is all but gone. Maybe the current political climate has your bones drying up. Maybe the truth is, is that there's some disease, some addiction in your life is drying up your bones, some depression that's robbing you of hope. Maybe you're just in a situation that leaves you more and more hopeless. The question this morning is, can there be hope? Can hope be found in your valley of dry bones today? In your valley? Hey, can I, can I just make this personal to you, church? What's drying up your bones? What's, what's drying up your hope today? What is it that is leaving you to waste in a valley of dry bones? Now let's go back to the text. In Ezekiel 37, look at verse 3. And then Ezekiel writes, and then he asked me, meaning the Lord, Son of man, 
Can these dry bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, I've tried to put myself in Ezekiel's situation. All of a sudden, I'm whisked by the Spirit of the Lord into this valley of dry bones, which is unsettling at best. And now he asked me the questions. Hey, can these dry bones live? You know what I'm thinking? I sure hope not. That's a little freaky to me, right? Here I am in a, in a valley of dry bones, and, and there's hands laying around everywhere. I think this is a pelvis. This is a jawbone. We have pieces of spinal cord. And then this is a femur. I have no idea what this is. Maybe elbow bone, hip bone. At least I don't know what it is, but here's the deal. I know what my answer is going to be if I'm Ezekiel. No. I, I don't want to see it. But, you know, then I get to thinking if I'm standing there with the Lord. I don't even fear these dry bones laying around. And if he asks me, hey, Anthony, can these dry bones live? You know what my response is? Is there anything too impossible for our God? This question is asked by God to Ezekiel for this reason. You ready? Because it is important that Ezekiel's hope and the people of God's hope not be tied to a mere man, but to God himself. Hear me, Ezekiel cannot take dry bones and make them come alive. There's only one who can. It is God and God alone. And again, I ask of you, church, is there any hope to be found in the valley of dry bones? And as we continue to read, and as we know because of who we are in Christ that, yes, church, there is hope that is found in the Valley of Dry Bones. Why? Because hope is alive. Why? Because God is alive. And let me ask you this question. You ready? Can you hear the dry bones rattling? Look in verse 4, and then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you. I will make flesh come upon you, and I will cover you with skin. I will breathe in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, imagine this, there was a noise, a rattling sounds, and the bones come together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And Ezekiel writes, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life. They stood on their feet, a vast army. Hey, church, isn't it God and God alone who can take dead skeletons and make them into an army? of hope in a valley of dry bones. Isn't it just like our God? Is there hope in a valley of dry bones? Yes, 
Hope is alive because God is alive. Is there hope for the people of Israel? Yes, there is hope, and hope is alive because God is alive. Is there any hope in our valley of dry bones? Hope is alive because Jesus is alive today. Because Jesus is alive. And watch this conversation continue in verse 12. Therefore, God says, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, watch this church, I am going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. By the way, this phrase takes place 65 times in the book of Ezekiel. I think it's important that not only we know it, that those around us know that he is the Lord God. He says, when I open your graves and I bring you up from them, verse 14, and I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Hey, can I let you in on something? In Ezekiel 37, this vision and what we see take place here is revival. It is dry bones coming alive by the work of God in the heart of his people to breathe life and hope into them. Hey, you know what's amazing? Everyone wants revival. Everybody does. Everybody wants revival, but God, please don't. Please don't make me repent of sin. Everybody wants God to move, but God, please don't move me out of what makes me happy and comfortable. Everybody wants to see dry bones come alive so long as it means I don't have to put to death the sin in my heart and my life that I've held on to for so long. You see, everybody wants revival. But you know what this vision reminds us, church? We cannot have revival without repenting and turning from our sins. We cannot see God move unless we are willing for him to make us uncomfortable and move us. We cannot see dry bones come alive unless we are willing for God to put to death the sin and the idolatry in our hearts and in our lives. Then Anthony, why do I want to see dry bones come alive? Why do I care that hope is alive in a valley of dry bones? Because listen to the work of God. Ezekiel 36 Verse 25, turns back one chapter. Listen to what he says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Guys, I know how dirty sin can make me, but that he would make me clean. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will... I love this. I will remove from your heart a heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Hey, can I tell you something? This is exactly what Jesus works in the heart of every believer. By faith, when he saves us. And you know what? It's the work he desires to continue to do in our lives through revival. 
cleaning us, as the verse says in verse 25, from our impurities and removing all of our idols is exactly the work that he wants to continue to do. You know what I love Vance Havner says? Just a preacher from old. He says this revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. Church, hear me. Many of us find ourselves in the valley of dry bones today. And you know what we need? We need God to make dry bones come alive through revival. And the question is, are you ready for revival? A revival in this valley of dry bones reminds us this, that no matter the valley that you and I find ourselves in, you ready, church? Hope is alive. Why? Because Jesus, because Jesus is alive today. Hey, but can I warn you of something? Continue to live in sin. Continue to bow to idols. And all you and I will ever know in our valleys of dry bones. That's all we'll ever know. That's the only season we'll ever face. But pray and seek the Lord. Pray for and seek revival. Repent and turn from sin. And guess what? The Lord will clean you up. He'll remove your heart of stone and, and give you a new heart of flesh. He will put his spirit in you. He will raise you up from the grave. And watch this. He will make your dry bones come alive again. That's the very revival that God wants to bring to you and to me today. Is there any hope in a valley of dry bones? Hope is alive because Jesus is alive today. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.